Welcome to Teach Holocaust, a podcast for educators learning to implement Holocaust education into their classrooms. This podcast is a product of the Nathan and Esther Peltz Holocaust Education Resource Center, or HERC, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Sam Goldberg, Director of Education at HERC. The How to Teach Holocaust series will tell you everything you need to know about the methodological considerations when bringing Holocaust education into your class. Teaching Holocaust history requires a high level of sensitivity and keen awareness of the complexity of the subject matter. The next few episodes of How Teach Holocaust will go through the teaching guidelines associated with Holocaust education. Each episode will contain information on either one or two of these guidelines. Much of the research presented in these episodes, including the guidelines we ask you to follow, are brought to you by the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. On today's episode, I brought back Karen Levine, the Museum Teacher Fellow with the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum, to help me discuss the next teaching guideline. Today, we'll be going over the guideline, Strive for Precision of Language. Karen, do you want to tell us what that means? Strive for precision of language is an extremely important guideline, as they all are. It's important to always say exactly what you mean in any situation, and certainly very important in Holocaust education. This history is a very complex one, and so there's a tendency to try and generalize. It makes it simpler if we can all put it in one bag, one basket, and take it away. Put that all, everybody in it. But you need that precision of language. It just, otherwise it will distort the facts of the Holocaust. There are some common generalizations, but it's necessary to be extremely precise and accurate in teaching this history. Thank you. Yeah, so the, as you mentioned, there's some really common generalizations. So we're gonna go over a few of them and kind of explain why you shouldn't use them and how they can be construed as inaccurate. So the first one, all Germans were Nazis. Right, right. And this, it's not that people will say to you, all Germans were Nazis, but they'll use the two terms interchangeably in speaking about the Holocaust. They'll say the Germans did this as opposed to the Nazis. Not all Germans were Nazis. Many of them were not affiliated with the party. Many of them, you know, were just average citizens, you know, with a different level of uh, complicity. However, in other countries, and you have to remember during World War II, most of Europe was at one time or another occupied by the Nazis. There were Nazi parties in almost every country in Europe. As an example, in the Netherlands, so many of us hear the Anne Frank story, which tugs at our heartstrings and go, oh, the people in the Netherlands, they were so good to the Jews, they helped the Jews. Not exactly. Actually, 80% of the Jews in the Netherlands were killed by the Nazis during the Holocaust. That's the largest percentage in Western Europe. The only larger percentage is in Eastern Europe with Poland. So it's important to say exactly what you mean here. Are you speaking about the Nazis? Are you speaking about the Nazi party in another country? Are you speaking about Germany? Yeah, exactly. And I think touching on what you mentioned about um, 
number of deaths in Poland and the Netherlands, it's also kind of interesting to note that most camps were not in Germany. They were in Poland or they were in occupied countries, which means that the people living in those countries were the ones working the camps. So they didn't necessarily have all German people working there. Right. And, you know, a lot of people want to go with that belief that, my God, all these camps were, all the people in the camps were Nazis. You had people from these occupied countries, as you said, some because they were true believers and believed in this kind of ideology, some because they needed a job, they wanted a job, and they might not have been involved in the killing part, but they might have been involved in other mundane tasks. Uh, working in an office, for example, might have been an example of that, or you know, custodian type jobs. So it's important to note that most killing centers, most concentration camps of all kinds were not in Germany. So the next generalization that we're gonna talk about, um, well, not necessarily generalization, but maybe just an incorrect use of language here um, is the phrase, the Jews were exterminated. Karen, do you want right. to speak about why? Absolutely. I think this is the one that makes my skin crawl more than anything else. If I have um, mice, if I have rodents, if I have bugs in my house, I call an exterminator. You do not exterminate people. These people were murdered, not exterminated. Hitler and the Nazis used this term to try and dehumanize the people that they were murdering because there's no emotional connection to exterminating. There is an emotional connection when you murder people. It also helped to uh, project the image of Jews as vermin, dirty, people that needed to be eliminated because of course you want to exterminate vermin. Uh, so the word is, and you see this used all the time by people who don't even realize, they say the Jews were exterminated. They were not. They are human beings. It, this, this whole thing sort of takes away from their whole experience. They were murdered, not exterminated. Yeah, and we spoke about this um, just before our recording is that de like it dehumanizes people when That's you say like they were exterminated. But saying someone was murdered, that kind of provokes an emotion to it, which is what you want. So when you're teaching the Holocaust, you want people to have an emotional connection to those that lost their lives. If you use the word exterminator, if you allow your students to say like, oh, they were exterminated, it really kind of takes away that emotional aspect that you really want to um, emphasize in your lessons as well. Right, it, it dehumanizes it, absolutely correct. The last comment I want to make about this is it's important, it's important not to use Nazi terminology in your teaching. If you use Nazi terminology, you give it a certain truth that it shouldn't have. So it's important to make sure of the precision of your language, exactly what you should say. Thank you. That's a really great note to add here. The last generaliza generalization that we're going to talk about is when people refer to the camps, that's like concentration camps, killing centers, and sometimes even ghettos as just the camps and not really identifying and specifying between the characteristics. Obviously, there were thousands of camps of different types. 
And certainly, depending on your teaching and everything, you're not asking students to memorize this kind of camp, this kind of camp. But it is important to separate what these were. They weren't all killing camps. Not all Jews went to Auschwitz. They weren't all killing camps. There were different types. There were ghettos, of course, which were not camps, but certainly horrible living conditions and caused the death of many. They claim, I think, about 100,000 died in the Warsaw Ghetto of death and disease. That's different than a transit camp, which people would be moved from one camp to another, a work camp, a pure work camp, where they would be worked, often worked to death, or worked until they were close to death and then sent to uh, be murdered. It's also different than other kinds of camps. Included in this is where the camp is. A lot of people will refer to Polish killing centers. No, they were killing centers in Poland. Polish killing centers seems to infer that the Poles did this. And certainly they might have been complicit in certain ways, but the camps were basically run by the Nazi occupied army, wrong, by the Nazi occupiers. Yeah, so like Karen said, is that each camp had their own characteristics and they had their own purposes. And taking one and just kind of categorizing it as, oh, it's just the camps, it really takes away from the different kinds of trauma that people had in each one. People died in nearly every phase of the Holocaust, but it's really important when you're teaching it and you're saying a specific incident to use the appropriate terminology. So like if someone was, if you're talking about experiences in a killing center, those are very different than the experiences in a concentration camp or in a ghetto. So the last thing that I wanted to talk about is um, what the harm in generalizing is. So when you generalize and say all Germans or all camps and fail to use the appropriate terms when discussing the Holocaust, you're really minimizing the experiences that people had. So there are different experiences, like I said, that people had in the different camps in the Holocaust in general, whether or not they were hiding or they were being killed or they were fighting the Nazis. There are individual experiences that need to be highlighted. And just making these overall generalizations really takes from that. And I think that if you're going to be teaching the Holocaust, you need to do so accurately and with precision. Absolutely. And you have to steer students away from those, kind of, those kinds of generalizations. Uh, too many of them come into class and go, oh, the Holocaust, that's when all the Nazis rounded up all the Jews and sent them to Auschwitz and murdered them. And that obviously isn't the case. As you said, there are individual experiences, they're so varied and they need to be emphasized. Thank you for being with me today, Karen. And I know that we're gonna have you back at least one more time. So to talk about the next um, guideline here, but thank you for being with, your, um, with us here and thanks for talking these through with me. Anytime, thanks so much.